Content warning. This episode contains stories of sexual abuse, sexism, and themes that may be difficult for those suffering from religious trauma. Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. So welcome everyone to the Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. My name is Dave. Uh, today we have Alyssa Whitback Alexander, a writer currently studying a Masters of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction and Writing at the University of Montana. Alyssa is an ex-Mormon with a heart-rending and touching story. Alyssa uh, has a strong interest in the relationship between institutional and personal truth, uh, of which we will hopefully touch on a little bit today. Alyssa is working on her full-length memoir, uh, but today you will only get a sneak peek at her journey. Uh, so welcome, Alyssa Whitbeck Alexander. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. I, I found you on TikTok, obviously, and uh, reached out because your story was just amazing. Um, and my wife was uh, very happy with the drink that you chose. Uh, we're drinking <laughs> Gimlet. <laughs> yeah, so she made me this. Yum. Cool. So, um, first of all, how are you? How's things been going? Yeah, things have been going well. The semester just ended, so we're going into summer over here. So that's that's nice. Oh, yeah, we're going into winter. So <laughs> different <laughs> part of the world. Very. <laughs> Do you have um where where I'm not sure too much for the states, but where are you? Like, is it cold? Is it cold winters or hot summers or? Yeah, it's pretty cold. Um, so we're just a couple hours um, from Canada. So it's it gets pretty chilly in the winter. Summer is nice. It's, it's a four season place. So that's when we get. Yeah. Oh, cool. So I was wondering if you could give us like the audience a bit of a, um, most of my audience might know because a lot of them are from America, but I've never met a member of the Latter-day Saints or um, a Mormon. Um, so I actually have not, I don't have much of an idea of what they believe. And I've seen the Book of Mormon, the musical, which was funny. Um, I watched a couple of YouTube videos about what Mormonism is. I have the Book of Mormon back there. I haven't started it yet. Um, but could you explain what Mormonism is? Like, is it, a, is it a branch of Christianity? Is it, you know? Yeah, no, I'd love to. Yeah, so Mormonism is a part of Christianity. The belief is that um, after Jesus's death, um and crucifixion that the apostasy happened so that's when the god's truth was taken from the earth and it took until um joseph smith in the 1800s to restore the gospel and so that is the mormon really like strong belief is that the gospel was restored with joseph smith in the 1800s um and the book of mormon is seen as the full truth it's like seen as um building on what the Bible has already started, but it is more accurate than the Bible. That's just another history of the Americas and of Jesus Christ. And um, yeah, that's that's like the really short version of it. So there's like the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament, which is what traditional, I guess, traditional Christians would, would believe. And then there's the Third Testament, which is the Book of Mormon. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So um, the Book of Mormon is considered like another testament of Jesus Christ. So Mormons have four books of scripture that they use. So there's the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon. And then there's um, a smaller book that's called the Doctrine and Covenants, which is basically like Joseph's revelations in the 1800s. So that is um, the last text that is used. Okay. 
All right, Sul. So, as for, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to give you the South Park rendition of the story, and you just correct <laughs> me. Correct me where I'm wrong. So, is it true? That, is it true that Joseph Smith, um, around was it 18 uh, something, 1860 or something, or sometime yeah. around then, yeah. he was visited by the angel Moroni, and then Moroni said, "Hey, um, Protestantism isn't right. Catholicism isn't right. I've got some golden plates. Go look for them." And he dug up his backyard or somewhere near his location, found these golden plates. Then someone translate, no, and then he translated those golden plates by looking into a hat and using these glasses or sphere stones or something. Yes. And yep. someone wrote down the story as he dictated it to them. Yep. Yep. That and was this... spot on. Okay. So that's actually like legit. That's a real. That is... Yeah. So um, okay. the, the only thing that there's like, has been some controversy and it's been accepted now as the actual translation process using the rock in the hat is kind of has been taboo within Mormonism up until the past, I don't know, two years, maybe, maybe even less, maybe even now it's, it's still considered taboo um, to talk about that. So they do admit that that is like the process through which Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. Um, but as like a kid, we weren't told about um, the hat and the rock. So the idea with that was mm. the hat, the rock, like, glowed or something no one's really quite right quite sure exactly how the text came um but yeah so most mormons don't like talking about this year's stone rock in the head and that's more um we'll talk about how that's uh yeah it was just translated like through reading it you know he just like understood egyptian basically but yeah but is it than, like an is it like an inconvenient truth of the of like like how christians don't like to discuss slavery or something because it makes them feel icky but it's there yeah exactly okay yeah. um Okay, so, and is it true that this is something that I thought was profound in the South Park episode? I'm a huge fan of South Park. Um, uh, we named our dog Butters um, uh, from okay. character from South Park. So he, he, uh, so is it true that they were, uh, the wife, um, someone was not convinced of this whole golden plate business and then took away the manuscripts of the original doctrine that was written and then Joseph Smith went away and prayed and said, God's angry at you. We can't use this original um, document anymore. We have to use a different document, which will be slightly different in details, but tells the same general story. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So um, it's called The Lost 116 Pages. Um, the only thing where people are kind of uncertain is they still haven't been found is, so Martin Harris was the man who, um, he was working with Joseph. He had a lot of money. He was really invested in the church. His wife was was less so. She didn't buy it. And so basically Martin begged Joseph, I think it was three times, to be able to borrow the documents. And Joseph would pray to the Lord each time. And the Lord told Joseph, no, um, you cannot share these documents. They're really sacred. They need to stay in your hands. So he prayed once. The Lord said no. He prayed again. The Lord said no. The third time, the Lord said um because you keep asking me, I'm going to say yes, but I don't want to get say yes. <laughs> so twisted um, God's arm. Twisted God's arm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so like, gave, gave Martin the manuscript, and then and then they were lost. So that is kind of um, there are a lot of different like theories. A common theory is that Lucy Harris, you know, destroyed them or hid them, um, so that then they could like compare because that was the idea, right? Was that if, if Joseph is really translating these literally word for word, then he should be able to do it again. And so that was that was the test. Um, 
But the Lord is angry. Uh, at least this is like what Mormon doctrine teaches that the Lord is angry with Martin and with Joseph and with Lucy as well. Um, but especially for them, him like trying to persuade God. And so he said, nope, like you lost, you lost that. And so that was um, kind of Joseph's rebuttal was, yeah, like we sinned. I shouldn't have asked him again. And so now we don't get this text anymore. Um, because the other thought was, maybe Lucy would be changing the manuscript or someone would be changing it to look like he was lying and try and catch him in a lie. Um, right. He wasn't. Anyway, um, so yeah, so then he, so that was called the Book of Lehi, um, which was what the 116 pages were. And then he retranslated it into the Book of Nephi, who is Lehi's son. And that is one of the most popular books in the Book of Mormon. And a lot of that is is saying, and then my father told me this. So it's kind of a summary of, what we uh, stories yeah so that way it's still the same stories but it's told through a different lens um, and if the if the original ones ever rocked up uh then it could always be argued that oh nephi just remembered it wrong when his father told him or something and like the small details were uh okay they're not an issue yeah okay that makes it so that there could be a little bit of you know changes based on perspective um, mm. really smart actually and that's clever yeah really clever yeah yeah and so then um is it true that mormonism mormons like kind of went to find their own homeland they, they kind of settled in utah is that right eventually yep yep so they were um kind of they were kicked out of of new york for practicing polygamy especially unethically they moved to um ohio i believe and missouri and anyway they were just kind of causing some political ruckus and then they made their way <laughs> so, and that's and that's really assembled wow okay so yeah so the only i think the only time i've actually come across a mormon in real life i was driving down the street and i saw these two two guys in like white shirts <laughs> ties jeans riding push bikes i was like oh, mormons there's actual mormons like here and um <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, it's the first time I've seen them in real life. This is so cool. I want to like know more about them. So this isn't a huge thing in Australia. Like Australia, we, you know, I'm sure parts of the US don't have a lot of Mormons either, but in Australia, it's definitely like we don't have much at all. So um, this is all very new to me. Um, so, so you were a Mormon though. You were a strong Mormon. You're not anymore. Um, yep. Could you touch a little bit on your story? Like, so like being baptized at eight, is that the like the age of accountability and yeah yep yeah yeah so i have i grew up mormon and i have pioneer ancestry so basically like my uh relatives from i think like both sides crossed the plains in that time period and um came to utah so like multi-generational six generations i think is what it is mormons um everyone has kind of stayed in utah so that's kind of been like the bread and butter that I've known that I've learned my whole life. Um, and I didn't even really question it. And um, yeah, so children are baptized at eight rather than at um, birth or as infants, as I think other Christian religions will do. And the idea with that is that then they'll be more accountable. They'll understand. I think the point is to try and, you know, offer children agency, although the argument is that there is still no agency at eight um, or understanding of, of what this is. But Anyway, yes, I was baptized at eight, and which made me a full-fledged member, and I was active and loved it my whole childhood. 
Oh, cool. So you mentioned, uh, I, I remember reading, uh, I'll link to some of your writings down below. Um, I remember reading your um, story. Um, I'm not sure if you call it a story, um, Baptized by Ice, or is it like a, you're writing Baptized by Ice. I, I read that. And um, you mentioned how you felt um, when you were eight and you were, you were baptized, you felt condemned because you thought of the word damn. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, can you explain a little bit of that? Yeah, so Mormonism is a really high-demand religion um, where basically how Mormon kingdom, like Mormon heaven works is you have to be Mormon, first of all, to get there, and you have to have specific ordinances um, that you're making in the temple, things like celestial marriage to someone of the opposite sex, um, ha having gone through the temple, you know, things like this. And baptism is um, the very first ordinance that you can make, and you make that at eight. And so that's when, you know, you're, you're really committing. And once you're at that age, then once you can sin, well, then you can lose your slot in heaven. And so when I was thinking this way, we're damn there, you know, I didn't, I'm eight years old. I don't know exactly what. <laughs> is. And so you know, I'm taught in church every single week, you know, that thoughts and actions are the same. They have the same severity. And so in my little brain I thought that that was like that was the worst thing I could think of a person doing in the world was thinking the word <laughs> I was like that, that's probably the pinnacle like there's nothing worse that someone can do and if I think it and so I think that's when like yeah like intrusive thoughts I'm like oh my gosh I'm like ruining my salvation in this moment because I can't stop like thinking <laughs> things mm. very words so anyway of course I had to repent for that and <laughs> I made up for it, I hope. <laughs> it's funny. I, I can relate to that a little bit. Um, I've I I have suffered through a bit of OCD in my life, pure O O C D. And um I remember first going to a psychologist and he told me um he wanted to demonstrate the fact that like when you try not to do something, you end up doing it. So he, he's like, think of the pink elephant. And I'm like, okay. So he's like, now you're gonna spend the next minute trying really hard to think of the pink elephant. So I did for a minute. And he's like, you're going to count every time your mind drifts off. And I'm like, okay. And then he's like, now you're going to spend the next minute not trying not to think of the pink elephant. I'm like, okay. So I'm trying really hard to think of the pink elephant. And he's like, you're going to count every time you do think of the pink elephant. And so anyway, it ended up being like 20, 30 times within the minute each time. And then he goes, he goes, that's interesting, isn't it? And I go, yeah. And then he goes, anyway, so when did you meet Amy? And I was like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I started just talking about stuff. And we're talking for a couple minutes. And he said, how many times have you thought of the pink elephant? And I said, oh, oh, none. And he goes, exactly. He's like, as soon as you try not to do something or try to do something, it keeps coming back. And there's actually a really interesting thing with people who have um, pure o OCD or a form of OCD. There's um, a type of OCD that deals specifically with religion because religion teaches you these thoughts. A lot of people would go to church and as soon as they walk through the door, they would get really blasph like blasphemous, horrible thoughts, like the worst thoughts you could think of. Um, and they would literally like they they would think it was like demonic so they would push hard against it and then it would grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and the, the way you treat that is you let the thoughts come obviously you, you have to you have to deliberately think of these blasphemy blasphemy uh, blasphemous thoughts so uh, the, my, my one of my psychologists was mentioning like how hard it was for him to try and convince someone that no no just just you've got to think these thoughts, you've got to let them be there, like just let them come, wash over you and disappear, like don't fight against them. Um, because obviously in, in religion, you're taught that these things are, well, not all religions, but in the religion I was part of, and it sounds like the religion you're part of, that thoughts were sin. Like you could think 
and have simple thoughts and they were your own and you were in control of them um and so yeah it can be really really hard to deal with with someone when someone has that type of brain chemistry yeah 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 absolutely and i think um you know mormonism is so um like i said high demand church is three hours a week but it's not just that it's you have um meetings multiple times a week outside of church you know it's just it's so um especially mm. living in utah it was like 90 percent of my neighbors in my high school were all part of the same religion and so i think it um you take this tendency you know toward um obsession and then you make it everything around you yeah but when you're really young and so i think that's just like it was really um uh yeah, it was just a perfect storm, you know, for that to explode more later with like with anxiety and, and things like that. And I think that's a pretty common experience for a lot of people within high demand religions. Is it's just like a, such a place for those like obsessions and intrusive thoughts. And oh yeah, do, do you bloom. does Mormonism have any like spiritual woo woo like involved? Like I was part of a church. We spoke in tongues. We laid hands on people. People passed out praise and worship for four hours like things like that all night prayer meetings sometimes is there any of that in mormonism or is it a pretty like... um a little so so not tongues um there are blessings and i think a lot of it is somewhat similar things within christianity but like the language is changed so um laying on of hands would be priesthood blessings um that's <laughs> consistent yeah so like like anointing oil i'm not sure how common that is in yeah but yeah, no, we did. We did anointing oil. And that became like there was a fringe sect of our church that was really into anointing oil and like gold dust and stuff. And they were like anointing people and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't priests. It was just randoms running around the church with a bottle of canola oil running, rubbing on people's heads. So. Like, Let's help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I would uh, say woo is within like the temple ceremonies. Um, that's kind of when it starts to get. A little bit more culty and weird um but mm. that's something that you know people don't really know about before they go to it and so i think on the outside especially it's just like very wholesome very like family oriented charming mm. uh squeaky clean you know it's kind of the vibes that most yeah like a lot of people a lot of people you know they, they they kind of view religion like when they're in it they don't think it's so necessarily so weird but from an outside perspective a lot of the stuff that I took for like the common, like common was, was extremely weird. I have a really good Muslim friend. Her name is Michelle and, and uh, she got invited to a Catholic wedding um, where she lives in uh, the Philippines. And sh she went along and she's messaging me through the surface. Like, okay, so now they're drinking this red wine and bread. And I'm like, I'm trying to explain it to her. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like trying to explain it to a Muslim. I'm like, it's like, so, so that's, it, it's symbolic for Jesus's, uh, flesh uh and the, the the wine is symbolic for his blood and christians drink that not as like a witchcraft thing but kind of like as a um uh when jesus was around with his 12 stuff before he got cruised like and it's so weird to try and like <laughs> try and explain this without sounding like a lunatic like yeah. to to someone who's outside of the religion it's like what do you mean you're drinking jesus's blood and <laughs> eating his flesh what do you mean and she's and then then she's like Wait, so, so no one actually thinks it's like his blood. I'm like, well, no, we didn't, but there are, you know, some Catholic sects do believe that it actually turns into the flesh of Christ and, and his actual blood. And 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 she's just like, 
she's trying to understand but like the more i tried to explain it the more weird it just came across and <laughs> it gave me a lot of respect for like you know other religions where it's like okay look this is very weird to me but look look man yeah, yeah, like, like, I, can't, I can't talk yeah i remember when i was a kid i was probably like 10 it was a similar thing where um i had cousins who i was trying to convert you know i was trying to um be all like professional and save them and i was and I, we took them to church and i was trying to explain them like the sacrament like this is this is jesus's body and like my 10 year old cousin was like ew <laughs> <You know? laughs> heartbroken i was like ew what do you mean ew like that's yeah. just Christmas. That yeah i know um it's so funny hey i i had some i had some friends who i, I recently reconnected back with and, and they were mentioning when because i'm not a christian anymore but i i uh i bet i was very hardcore christian in high school when i got when i had my spiritual experience and i remember he mentioned to me he goes it just felt like all the time you talked to us you were trying to like convert us but i knew that wasn't the case like i knew you wouldn't do it and i'm like no that was a hundred percent the case like i was doing everything i could to try and convert as many people like <laughs> and he's like oh i'm like yeah like what like my goal was to convert everyone like it wasn't like a you know i would every every choice i made i would you know I w it was to help someone experience the same things that I experienced and have the connection with the same God that I thought I was having a connection with. So yeah, it's, um, I can really relate to that of like wanting <laughs> to do that to someone and they kind of just think it's a little bit weird. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so you, how long were you Mormon for? Um, you were, you, you grew up in the church, right. And, and eventually you found a partner. Yes. Yes. So I, um, I was active, fully believing until I was, um, mid twenties, 22 ish, early twenties, I guess. Um, but yeah, so when I was 19, I got married. So in Mormon, that's not weird in Mormonism also. I'm not, mm. <laughs> at least not the time. No. Very, very young marriage is, is a thumbs up as long as, um, like 19 is pretty common, 19, 20. Um, and that's part of, because like I mentioned a few minutes ago, one of the most important ordinances is eternal marriage with someone of the opposite sex. And so that is literally the only way you can make it to the highest level of, of heaven. Um, because yes, heaven is hierarchical. Um, ah, right. Case, yes. <laughs> if you're not, if the single people, actually, this is just a, a brief side tangent. The single, the single people are, are um, servants to the married No. <laughs> in the higher kingdom i was gonna make a joke about like are they like the janitors like sweeping well, up after people really well. <laughs> that's rough uh, yeah so so obviously mormonism mostly today i i imagine the sect of mormonism that you're part of wasn't polyamorous in their um polygamy sorry i'm getting my terminology confused the gins are the gin is already taking effect it's usually at this time yeah. i start to must mess stuff up but so but in the polyamorous sex, do they believe that those people, like the more wives you have or the more partners you have, does that mean you're more, you're even higher up on the hierarchy or does it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Mormonism began polygamy in the 1800s with Joseph Smith and he was told that that was a revelation from God. Um, and again, it was, the problem was it was not happening consensually. It was, there's a lot of manipulation. So. Anyway, that's mm. actually why they kept getting driven to Utah because kept 
sleeping with other people's wives and people were getting angry. Um, mm. And so they actually stopped polygamy in, uh, I can't remember what year, sometime in the 1800s, because when they became a state, that was the only way they could become a state was they had to stop polygamy. Um, they were getting uh, in trouble with the law. So what they did was they stopped it. Um, mortal polygamy is, is how they phrase it. So on earth, you can actually, uh, or in this life, you can be excommunicated if you're practicing polygamy because that's something of the past, but it is still viewed as there is polygamy in heaven and that is an eternal doctrine. And so, right. yeah. And so, um, I think in Joseph Smith's times, it was three wives or more. I think at that point, like as long as you have three and, and again, this is one of those things that Mormons really don't want to talk about very much. Mm. It's not talked about on at church very often, but yeah, three wives is is kind of the the minimum. And fundamentalist Mormon, which is like a separate sect of Mormon of Mormonism, um, is probably similar there too, with about three. But yeah, and so then now people who um, are married men because women can't have more than one husband, but men. That's have, yep, and that's, that's what, what I was going to ask. I was going to ask that. Yep. Yeah, so it is just like strictly polygamy rather than like polyandry or polyamory. There was historically there there were a few wives that were married before anyway, it's kind of complicated, but the doctrine is men can have multiple wives because mm. I'm trying not to go like crazy deep confusing doctors. No. Go, go go as deep. This is called the Deep Drinks podcast. Let's go as deep as yeah, you want to go. There you go. <laughs> um within the Mormon heaven um, each man gets to have his own, and this will come up later um, in the story. Um, so there's some foreshadowing. <laughs> each man <laughs> has his own kingdom of God. Okay. Uh, and then he has, he has wives who are like queens of the kingdom. Um, but a woman cannot have her kingdom by herself. So she just goes into the man's kingdom and there's like a co- queen priestess i guess to his kingdom so anyway that's kind of where like the why it has to be polygamous specifically because you have a man at the center of each kingdom women are helping um being the help meets is actually the term and hang on yeah. this sound this is so so <laughs> would anyone if i was to drag a mormon into this call would they have any issues with the way you just interpret it then or is that pretty on point they would they would probably not like my flippancy um yeah. they wouldn't disagree with with any of the things that i've been saying okay because that's that's so that is so far out to me i don't even that's a, that's yeah well like i said before each religion looks funny from the outside right um but something that is really interesting that i've noticed with a lot of these stories i i i, I interviewed my wife i interviewed uh heathen queen and we talked about the difference in purity culture in the christian church so i don't know if you ever saw those interviews or if you if you if it's the same in mormonism but essentially women were taught to cover up to stop men from stumbling and essentially um you know if you show a little bit of cleavage or you show a little bit of like your, your skirt's too short you're going to make a man stumble and the man was we were taught we would essentially have anti-masturbation clubs where we would try to keep each other accountable for not touching ourselves as 15 year old boys or whatever and it it's like this like deadly spiral because you know the boys are taught they're predators essentially um and that 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 they've got to like hold back their urges 
and I love what Heathen Queen said. She said, not honoring the needs of your body. And then women, and then they're going like all, you know, they're going hormonal and they're going weeks without masturbating or whatever. And then women are told that if they wear a dress that's too low cut, they're going to make a man stumble. And of course the man's going to stumble because he hasn't touched himself in 15 days or whatever. And it's yep. just this like cycle, right? And um, and what I found really interesting is like, I've, I've become a lot more, uh, I guess, um, progressive in my thoughts over the last, since de deconstructing my faith. And I'm like, why can't women be like filthy, perverted, like... Why can't women want to have as much sex as men? Like, why? I know obviously there is different hormones going on, and biologically, like men have this drive to reproduce or something. But, but I know many women who would who like sex as much as men, and I know men that don't like to have sex as much as some women. So it's like it's it's this weird thing that religions do, where it's like men are like seen as this like like it, religion seems very anti. Um, feministic in a way, like very um, misogynistic almost, like, yeah. And yeah. of course, we might touch on that because I, I, I'm reading your stuff. It seems like you've experienced a lot of that firsthand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think purity culture is a major element of of the Mormon church. Um, and just kind of, yeah, that same idea that like women are responsible for men's thoughts and for men's mm. actions. And it's like, I mean, my husband and I will compare, you know, kind of like the types of lessons that we were getting as teenagers and for the guys, it's just so much of this, like, yeah, your body is like going to explode at any minute. And then for the women, like we would be told constantly, you know, I remember, I remember being told like, never touch a man's knee because he won't be able, he, he won't be able to help himself, you know? And mm. so this would lead to, this obviously leads into like major issues with like consent later um and also just like people don't know what they're doing people are just like uncomfortable and like everyone is struggling silently with purity culture and not even not feeling like they can share i mean men are constantly told about how dangerous pornography is and how it's an addiction and women are told that if they wear a tank top they are literally this was a quote from a church leader you are walking pornography you know so it's just mm. this, this really just like convoluted Thing that I think is it sounds like it's so common across Christian communities around. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Um, it's it's something that I've only recently wrapped my head around. Like talking to a lot of um, you know, um, talking to you know ladies about this because I didn't, I never saw that side of it, and it's been such a huge revelation to me. Um, also, like uh, Heathen Queen always sends me. Um, um jessica she always sends me screenshots of random dudes who message her and i'm like <laughs> i have <laughs> i men have let me tell you the only like hot girls with big boobs that come into my profile are uh, just trying to scam me like they're trying to get me to click on a link i have no real like girls messaging me like hey what you doing or hey cutie like but it seems like women get this all the time and Oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm, my mind is opening. I'm becoming more progressively feminist every single day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you eventually got married, right? And mm -hmm. I was wondering if we could touch a little bit on your marriage um, and talk about that because that is a big part of your story from what I understand. Yep, yep. So when I was when I was 19, I was married. And I guess an important part to mention too is that I was married in the Mormon temple. Um, and I'm not sure how much you know about that um no, okay nothing. well 
Fill us in. Um, so, okay. <laughs> so the Mormon Temple is very, um, it's very exclusive. It's it's discussed very consistently as like the pinnacle of the religion. Um, it's, you know, that's what you're working toward. And that's why eternal marriage is so important because you have to do what they call taking out your endowment, which is um, just a ceremony that you go through in the, in the Mormon Temple. You have to be worthy to go, which means, you know, a virgin extra careful no coffee you know just like some things like that um, no coffee no coffee actually yeah isn't that interesting wow. that's yeah, so that's weird coffee coffee is a huge like subculture in christianity in australia like it's like all about coffee every christian's like oh, i love my coffee gotta have my coffee it's like a big meme well that's how i am now <laughs> <laughs> yeah nothing wrong with that i'm the same but yeah yeah no that's that's funny yeah but yeah so so just a few one of the more abstract, I guess, kind of roles, but yeah, coffee mm. is, is like very, um, it's just like a sign of obedience to not have it. So anyway, yeah, things like that. Um, once you're, if you're a men tend to go on uh, Mormon missions, which is a two year mission. That's where you saw the, the people on the bikes <laughs> going around Australia. Yeah. Women are going on missions now as well, but, um, it used to be pretty much primarily men. And anyway, so they would go through the temple before they go on a mission for women. Generally, it would be before they get married. You take out this endowment, which is the ceremony. Um, you are granted the, the Mormon garment, which is underwear that has specific symbols that you wear day and night all the time. So that's where the Mormon kind of modesty culture comes in is all Mormons have the same underwear, the same. And that's why, um, you know, long sleeves, long pants to kind of cover up the Mormon garment that you receive at the temple, you receive um, a new name. This is the name that your husband will call to you from heaven if you make it that far. Um, Wait, you, know, so, what, you receive a new name? Yes, you receive a new name. It's very, it's, um, and this, oh man, there's so many things. The thing also is women tell their husband and their husband is the one to pull them through to heaven. Um, but the men, the men can never tell their wife what their names are for some reason. So, and it's so, very, <laughs> so the men, so, so is this an all Mormon marriages or just the temple? Like just the temple. The te just the temple. Okay. So yeah. is it like a special, is it one temple or is there multiple temples? Yeah. So there are multiple temples. So you have, um, the church houses, those are just the weekly things you go to. There's hundreds every couple miles in Utah and they're all over the world. Mormon temples. I think there are about 200 worldwide now. Um, and they're constantly building them. So you probably, I think they have one in Australia somewhere. Um, but maybe you've seen pictures. They're gorgeous, just castle-like buildings. Um, mm. And that's where they do the temple work, which is baptizing people for the dead, um, doing temple work for them post-death, basically giving people that have already passed away these ordinances so they can make it to heaven if they didn't already. Um, that's where the marriages happen, things like that. So I'm, I'll bring up, whoa, okay. Okay, let me just um, share the screen because this is, this is nuts. Um, <laughs> you're blowing my mind. I thought I knew a little bit about Mormonism, but like. <laughs> so it looks like a Disney castle for one, like a yeah. really nice Disney castle. Damn. So, we, whoa, they are massive. 
Mm-hmm. So you got married. So what's the one? Do, can we know the mine you got married in or? Yep. Yep. So if you look up that one, that's the Salt Lake this... Temple. So yeah. You got married in there? I did indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> Was that expensive? Do you mind me asking? No, it's free. It's free. You just have to be pure. You just have to be pure enough. Pure enough. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but only um, only ordained Mormons or endowed Mormons can attend these. So no children, no family, if your family is not Mormon or anything like that. Um, so you get married in this a very, you have um, very specific temple clothing. So a dress, a bonnet, you have to veil your, women have to veil their face. Um, anyway, so. So that's kind of like how the temple ceremony goes within 48 hours of um, getting married. That's when you like go through the temple to have your husband pull you through. So you're granted a a new name. That's the name they'll pull you through, through the temple um, or through the, to the resurrection to heaven one day. Um, And then you take out, you make these promises. You make these promises to commit your life to the church. You promise that you would give um, 10% of your income for the rest of your life to the church. Um, and then you also promise that you will hearken. Women promise to hearken unto their husbands. Men promise to hearken unto God. Um, and that's when I think I started being like, hmm, that's a little weird. And so anyway, so about 48 mm-hmm. hours before I got married, I went through the temple. So I took out, got the new name, took out this endowment, was given the underwear. And then, um, yeah, then a couple of days later, got married in the, I mean, it is a gorgeous, gorgeous venue. Um, and then, yeah, and then things started to get worse. <laughs> so, okay, there's so much to unpack pack there. So, um, I almost need to do like a, we almost need to do like a deep dive on, like, I need to learn more. I thought I did research, but I obviously didn't. Um, there's, no, you, is, there's, there's just so much. And the thing is, yeah, like, a lot of it is, um, like, not talked about on like public forums as much. So, it makes yeah, as much of that. So, you got married. Uh, I, and he knew your new name, and that's not Alyssa, is it? That's like nope, you don't have to legally change your name or nope, anything. Nope. So it's okay. It's actually a name that you're not allowed to say outside of one specific room within the temple. Okay, cool. So, yeah. okay, cool. Well, I won't ask you to say that then. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I don't care anymore. So, it's oh, fine. well, what, what was your name? I'm interested. It's Lucy. So Lucy. And that's a okay. Pretty name. Thank you. I thought so. Here's another quick, quick explanation <laughs> that I just think is an interesting fact. So um, we're taught that the temple names are, are well, they are incredibly sacred and we know that they're really important. Um, and we're told that they are specifically chosen for us by God. So we go in there and it's like our true, our truest name. Right. And so, you know, I was like so excited and and honored and also kind of nervous, obviously. Um, and then I found out later that actually there was obviously not divinely given, but there's a list on the internet. And um, actually, I'm not, I mean, it is on the internet, but there's a list within the temples of the temple role where every day of the month, each person is like a name is for whatever day that is. So anywhere in the world, if someone's going through the temple that day, so anyone who went through the temple on, May, on March 2nd, ever or the second of any month they're also lucy and so um 
Yeah, that was really disenchanting. That was really disenchanting. <laughs> oh, wow. That was, must have felt like, oh, bummer. Like, I thought this was, oh, like, no. God gave I, me a new name. And it's just God, like. God chose this name for me. And then also, like, it's so secretive. You know, you're not supposed to tell. But everybody else in there had the same thing. So it's just it's just really interesting. Kind of like all this, you know, whispering the name to your husband when the person two curtain slots down from you also has that name. So it's just kind of so, like, Right. And so you, I'm imagining you never learnt your husband's name. No, I never did. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you get into this marriage, you're 19. Yep. Um, you, you know, um, starry eyed, like uh, he was the handsome guy at church. Is that right? Or like you were. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah and you're like, classy. met at church and you get into this relationship and you go on your honeymoon. And I was wondering if you could, touch on a little bit of your because you guys were virgins when you met and obviously this is uncomfortable enough to talk about it but what was it like being virgins and marrying someone in mormonism um bad <laughs> so <laughs> like i mean part of the problem you know and this is something that i care about a lot now is people aren't taught again they're not taught what sex is supposed to be like they're not taught about consent they're not taught about expectations especially for women um, any sort of like pleasure or sex drive or understanding of things like that. And so I was, you know, this kid that was just completely ignorant and my husband was as well. And so the, basically the relationship immediately became abusive, um, sexually. And, you know, I go back and forth all the time analyzing on like, if this was intentional on his part, or if he was just ignorant as well. And I think it probably was just a combination of both. So we go on our honeymoon, um, it is, I mean, it's just like a, a complete switch flips with him. And I think that's part of what is so hard is like, I think I know this person because this, you know, sexuality is so literally, you know, not a part of the relationship at all. And then as soon as that becomes legal, it's like the whole, the floodgates open. And I think mm. to some extent, I'm, I'm assuming that's probably common in a lot of marriages where people, you know, suddenly are like, yay, everything's fine. Um, but again, what happened was he didn't understand consent. I didn't understand consent. And so, um, you know, he was pushing things and things were painful really quickly. And, you know, there was no real conversation of like what boundaries were, what was okay and what wasn't okay. Um, mm. just like instantly. You mentioned about the leaving the public restroom and meeting an elder. Yep. And yep. there was a, there was a click in your brain about divine like divine um um like should this this elder should have been able to pick up something but he didn't yeah so, so that's, oh sorry yeah go 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 yeah yeah so this is really important i think um and something that like i grappled with a lot so we were coming home from the honeymoon things are, are still not going well um and i mean it's not even just that things are awkward. It's that like, I'm crying. I'm telling him, no, he's just completely ignoring me. And it's like, I'm meeting, it's like, I'm with a completely new person so quickly. Um, anyway, so he, again, he, he really likes kind of like public sex, pulls me into a, a bathroom at the airport. We leave the bathroom and we see an apostle of Jesus. And I guess this is something that I would like to clarify as well is it was even more than just like an elder. So within the Mormon church, there's, um, it's a global church, right? 4.8 million active members. And there are three men at the very top. And then there are 12 men immediately below him. Um, and he was one of those 12 men. So it's like, he's 
yeah, so a huge figure um, speaking okay. at, at um, he's, we're told that he is literally like a prophet, seer, and revelator for God, like bat phone to God, right? He, yeah, he yeah. Knows what's up? And so um, we never met an apostle before. Like this is, this is huge for us. This isn't even just, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like seeing a celebrity in person. And so it, which was, I mean, I, th- I can't make this shit up because it was like, leave the bathroom one minute, 60 seconds later, last we, we run into um, uh, Elder Bednar. And, uh, and I think like at the time it was, it was kind of hard for me to process, but especially like in the essay, I'm kind of talking about like this really odd interaction to be like, what are the odds, you know, of seeing this person? And so for me, I'm like, this is divine intervention, you know? Mm. really bad stuff is happening we see this you know divine man immediately after like this must be a message from god you know he is here to set everything straight he's here to like save us and help me um and i really believe that and my husband was so excited and also it's just weird because yeah we're just like fresh off for honeymoon and awkward and and he's um yeah he like is bearing his there my husband is bearing his testimony to the apostle the apostle is talking about how proud he is of us and um in mormonism we're taught that the people the top leaders of the church have um um oh i just forgot the word but basically uh starts with the d anyway it doesn't matter but the like a literal ability to um oh discernment that's the power of discernment um mm. which someone yeah like we're taught they can literally like basically read your mind um to some extent, you know, and so they can discern if someone is lying, they can discern if someone is worthy, um, they can discern like the truth of things, and especially someone that has these priesthood keys, which is this power of being an apostle. Like, this isn't just a regular priesthood holder, he's like priesthood holder on steroids. And so, I remember feeling in the moment extremely uncomfortable thinking, like, Does he know what just happened in the bathroom one minute ago? And mm-hmm. if it was a problem then he would say something because he, like, this is the perfect moment. And if it's not a problem, that either means one, this isn't a problem. I'm not being raped. Maybe I'm, maybe everything's okay. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, I need to be submitting to my husband more or he's not, you know, really receiving any sort of revelation at all. And so it mm. was really, I mean, I'm sure there's other nuances to it, but that's really kind of, you know, how it felt and felt. And even like looking back, like, because he's seen as such a powerful authority figure, it's hard to kind of like read other options out of that. So anyway, leaving that scenario, I was left with, you know, two questions. One, either I'm crazy, this relationship is totally fine and I need to suck it up. Or maybe something's off with the church or at least with his own, with um, this elder, this apostle's revelation, revelatory power, because he should he should be able to stop this. If any, if anybody would be able to set a marriage on the track, it should be him. Why isn't mm. that? Happening? So yeah, yeah, that was a so, really big conflict. Yeah, I mean, you, you you do mention that you know after your honeymoon, you were so conflicted with these these feelings that you were you were googling things like spousal rape and how do I know? Because you you felt so pressured, you were literally forced into having sex, um, and not to. It's hard because um, I'm imagining your husband was also a virgin, right? And he wasn't taught like what appropriate 
yep. appropriate measures were um, when it comes to um, like sexual interaction. Um, and so it's like, you know, he is to blame, of course, um, for putting you in that situation. But at the same time, he's part of a system that's broken, um, that doesn't teach people to engage with their feelings and, and to communicate and have a quality in, in the bedroom and in, in marriage. Um, so um, it's a very, very horrible situation. Um, yeah. And I guess I'll just say that, like, I think that's part of what makes it so complicated. This was pre Me Too, literally just a few months before Me Too, actually, which is interesting. Um, and that was like mind opening for me, you know, because I kind of mm -hmm. realized what was happening. But I do think like, you know, to what and I think that's, you know, what I really kind of came to the conclusion of, or at least I'm like grappling with now is institutions put people in really bad positions. And you can, and not everybody who is raised this way is going to become abusive. But, you know, when, when, you know, my husband was, was using scriptures that were validating this and was using talks, you know, given by church leaders that, that were like, not, I don't even know if encouraging that word. Well, some of them. Yeah. And so it is kind of that, like, we're both victims in this scenario, you know, granted, I mean, obviously he shouldn't be doing that, but you know, it is really hard when systemically and generationally people are not taught appropriate interactions. They're not taught about consent. They're not taught much of really anything. And I think that's part of what like makes this, what just makes like religions that can be so dangerous. Mm, yeah. Uh, very much so and so um you eventually went to the bishop right to try and sort out your marriage and work out what's going on yeah yeah and so i think i mean like i said it was it was a really it was shockingly fast actually how how different the marriage became instantly um and, do, and I do, very you about do you mind if i ask how long were you guys courting for or dating before you got guys got married oh this is so embarrassing um it's normal in mormonism okay no no i i have we, i have family members who got married super quick so you yeah. um got married after six months so okay yeah that's pretty quick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so it was really fast and so like we didn't know each other, obviously, hardly at all. We were so young. So he was a couple years older than me. Um, but we were so young. So just trying to follow what we were told. And nobody stopped us, which, no, I mean, we're old enough. We don't necessarily have to be stopped. But anyway, yeah. So I go talk to um, the bishop to kind of be like, something's off. I'm even talking to my therapist, who is a Mormon also, who recommends I talk to my bishop. Like, the bishop has all of the... Power yeah, if if elder um begner's begner elder begner mm -hmm. um if his phone to god was broken that day you could have the bishop's phone surely at least would have connected yeah, this is exactly yeah. someone's someone's thing needs to be working um and i think like and this is where again uh, the bishop he's untrained he is just a volunteer you know he has a full-time job otherwise like mormon bishops aren't paid they're just you know, kind of doing their best, just kind of muddling through. I don't think he'd really ever, he's not trained to deal with this stuff. But at the end of the day, I go into his office. I put my head in my hands. I say, I don't feel safe at home. And his first response is, are you reading your scriptures? 
are you praying? And I, I, this was also a problem because that was what was fueling the abuse at home as well was whenever we were praying, whenever we were feeling or reading the scriptures, he would feel the spirit, which would then mean that he would, you know, want to have sex, especially, you know, in ways that I wasn't comfortable with um, because that was my duty as the wife. And, uh, and when I was kind of trying to like explain this to this man, you know, alone in the room and he didn't know what to do, I was like, real. I was just so confused. And he was also, you know, started questioning like my activity level in the church, like how strong my testimony was. Um, when I was telling him that I was, you know, having concerns and I'd been talking with my parents and with my therapist and I was trying to work through it. He was questioning their activity levels in the church and if they were like worthy to be giving me advice. Um, and so it's like, even in this, you know, dangerous situation, the conversation still was coming back to like worthiness and to scripture study and to, you know, just like these standard, like Mormon religious answers. Mm. Um, and I think that's when I was like, I, something's wrong. Something's really, really wrong. I think that I probably would have spent more time because you're right. Like we're taught in church as well. Like we are taught that, um, luckily, I mean, this is a benefit, I guess, of Mormonism is that therapy, at least in the past, I don't know, five years maybe has been less stigmatized. I I mean, it still is a little bit, Mm. has gone significantly less stigmatized. There are church specific therapists as well, but there are like secular therapists. And so by Mm. this point I had been, you know, somewhat comfortable seeking therapy outside of um, church leaders because, and I can't remember if I had this in my essay or not, but I had an eating disorder at um, the church school, which that's a whole other side tangent, I guess. But, um, and so I had to go through pretty intensive, like eating disorder treatment. And that was through, you know, regular psychologists, regular therapists, yeah, um, eating disorder specific. And so I think by that point, like, so even though I was still in like this, obviously like toxic relationship. And when the Bishop was saying these things, I'd been to therapists enough and talked through some of these things that I could tell that there was something different, you know? And so yeah. Think, yeah. And so I think that, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I, I knew, you know, what a trained professional would say. And I knew what I would expect someone to say when I was telling them that something bad was going on. And so I was like, huh, I think, yeah, I think this isn't as helpful as it as it could be. But I I mean, I think it's it's scary to think about the people that um, will only rely on on those church resources because they feel like, you know, the, the secular or, or non-religious therapy is dangerous or is taboo. Mm. And that can, you know, can cause again so much damage because these people don't have the training to, to really be helpful, um, especially with like different severity levels. You know, they can maybe yeah. like, you know, get a hot chocolate to feel better, but not working on like severe mental health dilemmas. Mm. Yeah. Or they'll do things like they'll do like cliches from like the 1950s. Like, let's look back at what happened when you were three. And you're like, what? Like, this is, a, I don't think anyone does this anymore. Like, this is an old idea. Well, like, um, all right, sit down on the couch. Like, that's what I saw on TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, so you go back from your honeymoon, the bishop doesn't help with any of this stuff, but then you guys, you end up telling your uh, husband, like, I'm out of here, right? Like, you're like, this is not working. Yep. So we get divorced 
really, really quickly. So the whole relationship is a whirlwind. It's, it's less than a year from um, dating to divorce. And wow. so, um, yeah. So it's, it's like it's, ripping a Band-Aid off. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> putting it on and then ripping it off. <laughs> putting it on, sticking it on, <laughs> getting it off. It was wild. <laughs> um, yeah, so. So leave did, you have, did you have, just, just curious, did you have a lot of, like, when you were considering the divorce, well, I'm sure you were considering it privately for a while, but when you were publicly considering a divorce, did you have, like, the church, like, come in, like, no, you're going to blemish the church's name, or this isn't right by God, Heavenly Father? A little bit. So, um, yeah, so I had that conversation with the bishop where, where he was saying, well, actually... Yeah, he was saying, you know, I think you should stay in this. And I said, yeah, I don't feel safe. Also, this relationship is, like, very sexist. And he's like, right, it should be. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, that's so messed up. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's like yes, go on. Oh, yes, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. All, all normal. Oh. Um, yeah, and I was like, hmm, this is... This is anyway, so so he um was like gung ho, everything's fine. And I was really bothered by that. So I start going to um higher up the food chain of church leaders. And um I didn't have well, I mean it was complicated because I did have multiple church leaders that were like I mean that the bishop was like, This sounds like it's fine. And then I had this other um stake president who again was a little bit higher say, Well, that that doesn't sound good. I feel like he's misusing the doctrine of the church because I would, you know, tell him which things were happening and what was happening based on the scriptures. Cause that really honestly was kind of the crux of the, of the dilemma I was having was everything that was abusive was tied back to the doctrine. Somehow it was followed by a prayer, followed by a blessing, followed by something. Anyway. And so I had, um, this other Bishop who was saying, um, you know, as members of the church, we want to keep this eternal commitment. This is what we've signed up for. Um, and then he was saying, but as like, a, he kind of like stepped out of his role a little bit and said, I've seen like my, I have a, a daughter who's been in an unhealthy marriage and, and I think that it can be dangerous. So maybe, you know, it's not, the, it's not the worst thing if, if you jump ship and then kind of jumped back into bishop mode saying, but, you know, pray about it. And then, but also this doesn't seem to, anyway, so it's kind of a little bit of that vacillating. Um, I had, um, just a side note, I used to have pastors do that. Like, I'm like, oh, should I watch The Godfather? Like, last thing, like, as a friend, it's a great movie. As a Christian, <laughs> no, you shouldn't. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just, just tell me what your answer is. Like, you know, keep going. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's just similar. And, you know, I really, I just was like, I think I just, um, I just knew I was like, this is this bad this fast. Like it's going to get so much worse. We, the faster I leave the, the, um, the less entangled things will be. So anyway, so then I, I, um, we got divorced and, uh, I did have to meet because we'd been sealed in the temple. I had to meet with a lot of different state church, church leaders to basically, um, like defend that I was leaving um i don't know three maybe so i guess that's not a lot but felt like a lot um 
And they, they kind of gave varying answers as well. A lot of it was, well, I'm really glad that you're safe now. Um, that again, that was misinterpreted. That was misinterpreting this part of the doctrine. This part of the doctrine is good. Anyway, so we I had a lot of conversations with different church leaders, kind of like discussing the nuances of, of the doctrine with the marriage and what it meant when I was so young to be getting divorced and where it was so short. And anyways, it was, it was complicated. Wow. Um, so, uh, did he get reprimanded or anything? Did like he get like little, little visits? No. Right. Cause he's a man. Cause he's a man. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that, that was pretty complicated. I, um, I didn't report him legally i i thought about it for a while but i i didn't end up reporting him but i did well the thing again that was so strange that was hard for me was i did tell you know these bishops what had happened and i said you know i think because there are church like disciplinary actions that happen for in theory for things like this um and i also in order to be able to be legally divorced i was required to like basically sign, send a, a plea to the top three so we have um, of the church. So we have the top three leaders and then we have the top 12. And I met one of the top 12 in the airport, if we remember. Um, but I did have to say a letter. I had to explain everything that had happened, explain why I wanted a divorce and it had to be signed by the, the first presidency. Um, and I, I guess I kind of thought, you know, I'm explaining what happened and they would be like, wow, that's really bad. Let's, um, let's make sure that he's disciplined or something. And instead, they just sent me an email back that was like, all of your blessings of the marriage will be revoked starting immediately, you know? And so, anyway, I guess. Did you, wait, so did you have to, like, so you're wearing the underwear every day, right? And these are, is this long underwear? Is that the what I've seen? It's two pieces so, now. It used to be one piece, but it is two pieces. But, yeah, it's it's long, so. Right, so do you wear... Um, so do, when do you take this off? Like when do you stop wearing the magic, the magical underwear, like this special underwear? Never. You have to wear, I mean, you can take it off. Oh no. I'm... But like forever for the rest of forever. Oh no. I mean like, um, like when, do you take it off when you've decided to leave your husband or do you like, do you, or oh, you st- oh, do I personally? Yeah. 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 Personally. Sorry. I oh, mean yeah, like, yeah. Okay. No, like no. was that part of the blessings that were removed is what I was kind of asking. Nope. So once you're, once a person is endowed through the temple, then they have to keep them on regardless of if they get divorced or something. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just trying to understand oh, the yeah. nuances of all. really complicated. There's a lot of random, like, details. Do you know what? Kind of it is, um, I'll tell you what though, like when I was looking at it last night, like the story of like, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, traveling, you know, ancient Israelites traveling to America and, and all this stuff. that it was kind of cool. Like it was, it's a fun religion. Like there's some fun stuff, like yes. besides all the harm religion does, it was, it's a fun one. It's like Catholicism. They have so many cool little outfits. Like, it's like, wow, this is, this is interesting and relics and, you know, like it's cool. Um, <laughs> so, so obviously you get divorced and stuff does this like damage your faith at all or like were you starting to question at this stage like your mormonism yep so this is when i started to question a tiny bit very small i'm still like holding on really steadfast um but i'm I'm starting to get you know triggered by a lot of the things that my husband would say and like 
the songs he would sing that are then coming up in church. Um, and so I would say it was just like a little bit of a nick in my testimony where a lot of what I was doing at this point, trying to meet with church leaders, you know, was basically trying to like take him out of my testimony, but mm. I was finding that I couldn't. And so at the time I was thinking that any of my questioning of the testimony was just trauma related, which I think part of it, you know, was, but, you know, I think what was so hard was everything that he said was backed up in scripture somewhere. And so that was starting, you know, to kind of nag a little bit, but I was still very, very, very orthodox and active, still wearing the underwear, still going to church every week, still, um, you know, people would consider me very active, very stalwart, very orthodox and not breaking any mm. rules or, or anything like that. No coffee. No yeah. Heaven, no, not even close. <laughs> yeah. Damn that. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so then how do you walk? Like, how do you start questioning your faith? Or, or is there more to the story yep. in there? You're currently married to someone yep. else. Is that right? Yep. You've got a so, lovely, lovely uh, child. Yes, I do. Yeah. He, I have, we have a two year old. So, so, um, Remember when I got my new name in the temple and I was taking, okay. got Lucy. Well, I went with my parents to the temple because they're active. And I guess for their whole, um, they'd been starting to find the temple a little culty um, because it kind of is. And, but they didn't. <laughs> You're <laughs> answering some of the Q&A questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they didn't want to... Um, say it right they didn't they they kind of were struggling with their testimonies private and not even struggling with their testimonies they just thought the temple was weird i was seen as extremely devout extremely stalwart i was like the golden child and mm -hmm. where the temple is seen as like the pinnacle of the religion the most beautiful moment they expected me this time i get to go through it you know is going to be this really beautiful experience and I'm really, really just deeply bothered. I, I am crying throughout the ceremony. I just feel icky. I feel, you know, I, the veiling feels sexist. The language feels sexist. Seeing my husband-to-be within 48 hours, loving it so much, just feels wrong. And at the time, I mean, I'm 19. This is the first time I'm going through this ceremony. You're not told any details of the ceremony at all beforehand. So I'm really just, you know, kind of thrown into the fire and I have, I can't articulate what's going on. I just feel gross. And my parents are like shocked because they thought, you know, I was the golden child. I was this perfect Mormon girl about to get married so young. I was doing everything right. So that, so that night, um, they see that I'm so bothered by the temple and my dad, is like, oh man, she's I'll as the priesthood holder of this family. Let me, I'll help her. I'll fix it. So he Googles. Is it, sorry, is this the first marriage or the or your yeah, current marriage? First marriage. So oh, okay. he sorry. Briefly. no, sorry. Thank yeah. you for um, stopping me right there. So right before no, I, got I, I wasn't sure if you, you've had too much gin or if I've had too much gin. So. Yeah, right. Flying, <laughs> time new names. It's <laughs> no. So keep keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that night, so this was um, the, the night after we got, or the night before we got married or whatever, my, my dad is Googling how to help your daughter go through the temple, trying to find resources because I was, seemed so, so upset by it. Um, 
And he starts learning some of the weird history stuff of Mormonism that is kind of kept under wraps. Um, I think the first thing he found was, so the um, Book of Mormon is, you know, an ancient doc, is told to be an ancient document. And he know, he found online that there are some um, in, um, inaccuracies in the King James version of the Bible that happened later in time than the Book of Mormon is supposed to be, right, that are in the Book of Mormon. And Joseph Smith had access to the King James version of the Bible. And he's like, huh, that's weird. And so in an attempt to Google trying to help me, he finds that. And so anyway, so now he's doing, okay. And he tells my mom and they're stewing. Jump back forward in time, post-divorce. My testimony is starting to be rocked from the marriage and from, you know, those things. And I'm kind of mulling over what is it that was going on in that relationship? Why was it that the doctrine um, had, why, or why was it that he's able to like back up these things with the doctrine? Is something wrong? Kind of pushing that down. Meanwhile, my parents from the day I went through the temple had kind of been thinking these same things. They see me this um, doing all the right Mormon things. They see me get do the marriage to this extremely um, good Mormon boy, right? Um, who who's bringing his testimony at the time. They see that happening. Meanwhile, they're um, learning a little bit more about the church history and learning that there are some inconsistencies that they didn't know. So these two things are happening at the same time over these um, few months. We're all kind of separately like, huh, something seems a little bit off here. And um, yeah. And so then um, after the divorce, my parents kind of start questioning more and more. Um and they start, they tell me that they start questioning. And at some point, eventually, they leave the church. Um, but they don't, uh, they don't want to tell us anything because, or they don't near, and when I say us, I mean anybody else in the family, because um, it's extremely taboo to leave, oh, yeah. um, especially for like historical reasons, um, because that's meaning that you're being basically like, deceived by the anti-Mormons, you know, things like that. So I don't know a lot of details of things that they they know. I just know that they're having questions. They have removed their sacred underwear and they, they I saw them drink coffee too. So, you know. Ooh, those sinful. Getting sinful. Dis- those disgusting heathens it drinking really, coffee. It was so funny. They actually had to sit down with us, with my sister and I, and they said, I want you to know that, that we have, we have partaken of coffee. It was like this really serious discussion. So like, That's so good. Years old, you know, and they, they, my dad's sweating, you know, telling us that they've, you know, had a cup of coffee this one time. We're trying to keep it together. <laughs> even the even the word like we partook in coffee. We like, have to, exactly. Like <laughs> it's so it's it's so it reminds me so much of Amy and I when we were deconstructing our faith. It was like. It was like such a weird thing to be like, okay, we, we we had some alcohol, we drank some some alcohol with friends, and we got a bit drunk, but that's okay. Like it's okay, it's okay. Like we're trying to reassure ourselves, like there's nothing wrong with having some drinks. Like yeah, you know. yeah exactly. It's funny, yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, around this time, I something's brewing over there, and I still haven't been back to the. So the thing about the temple is you you go that first time to take out your own endowment, and then you keep going. You're supposed to keep going, visiting because um, and participating in the rituals to build your testimony. But I just find it so triggering. And at the time, I think it's just because of the marriage. And I'm sure, again, I'm sure that played a part. 
but I I attempt to go to back to the temple to fulfill my temple duty and I have full panic attacks at the temple because it is just it's creepy you know and and I can't think of a, of a softer word it's just weird the rituals mm. and um and so I I'm trying to go and and I'm kind of having these like really visceral reactions to going and so I I'm already meeting with bishops to talk about my divorce. I might as well talk to them about temple or about church doctrine too. And so that's kind of how this transitions um, is, is yeah, is getting divorced, starting to have these questions brewing slowly, meeting with bishops and church leaders slowly. My parents have their questions. So there's just a lot of um, unease happening. Mm. And uh, this is when I meet my current husband. We meet, we're in the same church congregation. He's actually a church leader in the congregation, which is, which is just kind of funny um, looking back. So everyone is like, he's actually the, we were students at the time because we're still young students at um, the university. And he is in the highest church leadership position that a student can have. So he's kind of seen as like the real deal on the ward. Um so we start we start dating, and um, yeah, he is fully believing. You know, been active his whole life in, in the church, and um, we think our relationship is moving really slowly in Mormonism because it's like a year before we get engaged. But it's, which is still the rest of the world. Oh, I know. So old. Weird. So I mean. I'm 22 when we get married. Like it's yes. I, so yeah. I, I had friends who waited 10 years, and um, we always make the joke like, "Come on, mate, hurry up and propose or whatever." And uh, he goes, "When he finally got engaged, he's like, I thought I was rushing it." And we're like, "Mate, yeah, come on!" So funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, during this time that I'm dating um, my current husband, um, and again, like I'm young and. It's just is move everything's moving within the span of like a few years around um, the divorce and, and getting married again, um, but yeah, I, we start I start meeting with church leaders to kind of be talking about some of my questions. Um, I I make a color coded sheet, and um, I write down all my questions on it, and I color code them based on severity, um, and I like bring it to the leader, and I'm like, fix this. Like these are the things that are starting to arise. Like fix me. And um, they kind of try to figure it out, but they can't really fix it. And I start talking like scrunches to it up, puts it in the bin. Yeah, Done. Like, oh, yeah. let's not talk about this. I'm like, I feel like the church is sexist. And they're like, we don't like that word here. <laughs> like, so I'm also starting, to, I'm in college. I'm an English major. So I'm starting to have my feminist awakening. I'm starting to have my like um, uh, LGBT. Oh like a equality allyship awakening is oh not equality that's gonna equality. throw you under yeah I suddenly learning that like racism is real i'm like oh no you know so that's that mm. is not for, for the church so i'm just like learning on every level i feel like my brain is just exploding with with information um yeah so this is kind of happening for a while and then um but I still think the church is true. Everything's fine. It's fine. It's just I'm nuanced. I can see that, you know, polygamy, that probably wasn't great. You know, there there are some rough edges to the church, but it's okay. Everything's okay. Um, so then uh, I get engaged and we decided to get married in the temple. 
And this is complicated too, because at this point, my parents have left the religion, so they're no longer eligible to enter the temple. Um, so I know that they'll be excluded from the wedding, which is like heartbreaking. Um, but we're like, well, they should have had that coffee. Shouldn't have had the coffee. Exactly. If you're going to choose coffee over salvation, like the devil's juice, what do you want me to do? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Sorry, you can sorry to interrupt you. No, I, I, I'm just like that. Your story is very, very profound. Um, so yeah, keep going. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, keep going. That was, yeah, was great. Okay, so, you... so, so we're engaged. We decided to get married in the temple. We um we go to California to get married on the beach. Well, in the temple and then have a reception on the beach. And we basically just like kind of elope with our parents. Um, so it's like a really intimate wedding. It's really beautiful. Um, one of the temple pictures, by the way, that you pulled up a couple minutes ago on the screen was the San Diego temple where we got married. So you saw it in, in one of the one of the things you looked through. <laughs> All right, hang on. Let me let me let me throw it up because everyone's gonna wanna. I was gonna see it. It's gorgeous. It's I think I think it's the prettiest one. Oh, okay. Look at yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. See, beautiful. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's stunning. They like white. Oh yes, purity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's stunning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you got so accepted in. You got accepted yes. into this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were worthy. We didn't <laughs> cut ourselves. So we made. We passed the cut. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so, so we get, uh, so I, at this point, but right before we get married, I'm starting to really have a feminist crisis and I'm thinking the church is pretty sexist and this is the main, and I guess this was like the real, the first real pull, um, the first real, uh, Nick in the armor, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then, um. The guy that marries us. So in the temple, you just get married by whichever sealer is is present rather than having like a friend or something. He makes it worse. And so um, this whole time over the past few years, I'm, you know, kind of like struggling with my faith. But I decide that it's it's true. It's fine. It's true. It, everything's equal. I, you know, everything that my first husband was saying, that's not true. That, I'm just going to, that's, I'm not a help meet. That was the language he used. I'm not a help meet. I'm. I'm real. I'm sure everything's fine. And then um, in the ceiling room, the moment that we're about to get married, he turns to um, my husband, or he turns to both of us. He said, you are now going to join the Cade Alexander kingdom. Uh, and and he's like, you, you know, will be the helpmeet to his kingdom. And I just start, I burst into tears because oh. like, no, that means it's real. Like we mentioned a, a at the very beginning of this, you asked whether or not Mormons would like feel comfortable with that language of like a man with the kingdom and like the women around it. And kind of like what I said was, I think that people would like not disagree, but would feel uncomfortable. And like, that feels kind of flippant. And that's kind of how I felt in this moment was that I was really, really hoping that someone had missed that I'd been misinterpreting the doctrine that like women could be just as equal as men. But they just mm. aren't. They just aren't. You know, no matter how many times mm. you try to do mental gymnastics, so they just aren't. And I think that that was the moment right at the wedding, which was really bad timing, um, that it just really hit like, wow, I have been, you know, circling this stuff for a while. 
but it's just sexist as fuck. Like it just is. And so, um, yeah. So then the sealer, I think he thinks I'm crying because I feel the spirit because he seems happy and excited. <laughs> so oh no. he just is like leaning into it. He's like, goes out. He's like, Oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember even all the things he was saying. He was like, man, like, He's like, but don't worry, it's super equal because you have to keep him on track and, you know, all this stuff. And um, oh, no. husband is like trying to look at me. I mean, he's thinking I'm going to run out of the room. And I really was thinking about it at the time. I was like, do I leave? Do so I? He, does he know the part? Like, does he know your past? Like your, the experiences yes, yes. you went through? Okay, cool. So he's probably thinking like, oh no, she's having a bit of traumatic remembering yeah reminders and stuff yeah okay yeah yeah so he's he's really worried in the moment um especially because you know he he's i've talked to him a lot about you know my concerns with the church my concerns with my past marriage like so he can tell that i'm that i'm really panicking um but i just kind of just we just get married and that part was horrible horrible is it yeah mm -hmm. it, was not great. Um, <laughs> do you mind? Do you mind if I ask? Was it his first marriage, or was he? Or yep. did he also? Okay, cool. Okay. Yep. Yep. So it must have been really like for him, and he was only a few years older than you. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So my, that that was that's still a scary moment for anyone, um, especially with such a religious undertone. It's Absolutely. A big day. Yeah. Well, it's a huge day, and you know we're told that we'll be married forever until forever, you know, through the eternities. And we're in this room. And like I said, we wanted to have a really small wedding because I didn't want to have a reception again. So it's literally, we're in California and it's just him and I and um, his family, that's his mom, his sister, his brother-in-law. And that's it. And we're all just in there. And, um, and I'm just crying and he's scared because he's getting married and that's daunting. And he's also <laughs> and he sees that I'm freaking out. And he's like, and the thing about him too, I feel so bad. He's like, try, he's trying to understand what I'm thinking, but he also is really firmly believing at this point, you know? And he also thinks yeah. feminism is like a very dirty word. And like, you know, I don't know about, you know, too much equality. Like that feels a little, you know, <sighs> he's like working, you know, he's still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, so I'm already kind of seen as a little edgy. You know, a little mm. on the furry here. And this is just making it worse. And But I think I'm, I think we both just are panicked. You know, we're here in our wedding moment. The sealer's just going at it. I won't. I refuse looking at him. He is trying to make eye contact with me. He's like deer in the headlights, you know. <laughs> this is like, this is crazy. Because you're crying, having like existential crisis about like feminism and the church and truth and reality. He's wondering, is she going to leave? This is also the, and run away. Like what, she, is she having trauma? Is is this like, the this is the biggest moment of my life. And then, and he, so he's freaking out. And then the person marrying you is like, oh, the, the Lord is working through the this. <laughs> and, oh. that's, and that and his family's in there thinking oh. this great. they're all smiling and happy and like this is the best day and oh, like we're no. all, everything is like imploding <laughs> like, so, no, it's no. only funny because of how messed up it is like it really <laughs> is like it's such a fucked situation <laughs> oh jeez. yeah yeah so that was just 
that was mess. <laughs> but we get married somehow sporadically. We get married, and then, and then we do have a beautiful hour or two where we're just on the beach, where you know we have like we drink sparkling cider, non-alcoholic, of course, because you know of that. Course, yeah. Of course, can you imagine? Um, and then yeah, we have we share sugar cookies. We go on a honeymoon. It's fantastic. And it is like really safe and validating for me to be like, oh, like this is what a good relationship is. Oh, but also I guess last thing I guess I'll say on, on the marriage too is so we do the the brief reception on the beach. It's beautiful. And then, you know, we have the send off into the sunset. We go, we drive off to our honeymoon five minutes after we drive away. I'm like, so, you know, everything the sealer said, you didn't believe any of that. Right. Like we're kind of. And so, yeah. And and he's kind oh. of like, so that is basically when, like, we both kind of know something really big is going to happen with our religion. And we're, you know, T minus two hours post marriage. So we'll just kind of hang on and post, post, we kind of have the, the uh, self respect to not talk about it on our honeymoon, but we kind of both know that we're going to, we're going to have mm. some big conversations when we get home. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of sweet because, um, we also, the hotel knew we were on a honeymoon, so they gifted us a uh, a bottle of champagne, which we didn't drink, right? Because, um, Ooh. But, we, but we did keep it, and then we ended up popping it on our one-year anniversary. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing, I guess. But, oh, so that's, 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 that's <laughs> awesome. So did you guys, like, so you jumped straight into marriage, and... Were you seen as like um so you guys like deconstructing your faith almost immediately? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so are you so this may be too personal, but are you kind of seen as like the witch to his family? Like are you just <laughs> seen as like the black sheep who's come along and just like yeah, yeah, that's... I hate that. I'm so sorry you're going through that. Uh, sometimes I feel like that. That has definitely added a little bit of um, you know, tension, especially coming right out of the gate. Was married, yeah. divorcee. Um, we started deconstructing our faith really quickly. So yeah, that that led to some interesting conversations. But yeah, I mean, again, I feel like I get. I was just. We'd been thinking about our faith for for a couple of years at that point, and it just really was that sealer that it just was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And so, so I guess I won't say we left, but at that point, that's when massive research started happening. We're constantly talk, at least for me, my husband is still kind of like deer in the headlights, you know, like what's happening. Um, but I'm reading everything, get my hands on. It. I'm trying to understand, okay, if this church is true, what, and, and that's something I guess that Mormons will say a lot too, as well as is using language like true. It's very black and white. Um, it's not just the church is good. It's not just that Jesus is true or, or real or whatever. It's like this church, this very, very specific element of the church is the only truth and 100% true. Like there's very little room for nuance within the doctrine. But anyway, so researching like crazy, listening to podcasts, reading books, reading articles and essays. And um, there's a lot of things to try and kind of like deconstruct. Um, but it is like, I feel like it's like a sweater, you know, you start pulling on a thread mm -hmm. and, and then you're going and then now you just have a lot of yarn in your hands. You can't, yeah. and you can, the, the thing that I want to get through to a lot of people too is it's, it's not like, like for me at least, I was never, 
you ne- you can't go back. Like it's like you can't like peek under the peek under the hood and then just pretend you didn't see what you saw. Wow. So you try to re- like you you're like okay, I want to know what the truth is. I'm not doubting my faith. I'm just looking into it. And then you look, and then you notice something. You either then have to pretend you didn't see it and lie to yourself, be dishonest, intellectually dishonest, or you have to keep researching it and find a way to marry the problems. But for me. It just kept getting worse. The crack kept getting bigger. Eventually, I was standing at the bottom of a canyon going, how did I not see this huge hole before? And it's, yeah. it's really, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, like, that's something that, that people tend to struggle with, with, like, dis, uh, distrusting people who leave the church, you know, because it's like, well, why did you, like, you shouldn't have looked into the information, you know, but it really was originally, especially for a long time, in an attempt to better understand what I believed was so true, trying to, trying to like piece together this faith that I loved so much. And, um, you know, people will say like, you can't believe in Santa Claus once you learn that Santa Claus isn't real. And not to like equate mass religion to Santa Claus, but like you, once you, you can't, un you can't try to believe something. You know, belief isn't really a choice. Mm. Praying is a they, choice. Scripture study is a choice, but belief isn't a choice. You know, it's just they. A lot of religious people will argue tooth and nail. Like they will argue against that point. And I always just say, like, but it's like, can you can you believe that gravity doesn't exist so much so that you'd walk out of a building? Um, and like I think that a lot of them will actually say to me, "Yeah, yeah, I can, I can do that. I, I could do that and walk." But I'm like. Um, that isn't belief. That's just ignoring your, 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 um, yeah, absolutely. That's just ignoring what you really feel. Like there's a form of like belief where it's like, okay, I saw that, but I choose to believe this. Sure. But yeah. that's just a form of dishonesty in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, there's a quote from, um, a prominent church leader from, I don't know, the seventies or eighties. His name is Jay Rubin Clark. But anyway, he said this thing that I think, um, a lot of people who've like deconstructed Mormonism really like where it said um, the truth needs to be examined and if, or the truth deserves to be examined. And um, gosh, I'm like slaughtering it. But basically the point is the truth should be examined or anything should be examined. And if it's true, it will stand. And if it's not true, then it should fall apart. Um, which exactly. is ironic because he's a church leader, you know, and the religion fell apart but you know he must have believed it really yeah and i think that like especially with something that is such a big part of people's lives i think it's so important especially when it's causing like if it's not hurting you and it's fine i can see why people don't but especially in the case where it was you know leading to a lot of you know anxiety originally mental health was a, it was a player in that and it was a player in abuse like it, it wasn't that I went out trying to lose my testimony and I think that's something that I really wish the people who you know were around me that that believe or just people that believe generally that it's not an attempt to go out and like destroy my entire identity you know it's mm. it just kind of came and and I'm not sure about you but for me losing my faith was an extremely painful and heartbreaking and horrible experience but also married with oh it's it's also inspirational and exciting and like there's all this it 
I always liken it to like arriving on an alien planet where you kind of know the rules, you're kind of welcomed, but you also like, like for me, I was like, I could look at dinosaur fossils because I, I used to believe that Adam and Eve were real and stuff. So I could look at, look at I'm like, oh, these are real. These weren't placed here by Satan. These are like, the earth is old and like we came from apes and stuff like, yeah. So it was, it was like, a, and I was like, whoa, this is really exciting. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I think, I mean, it really is a process of deep, deep grief and deep, deep rebirth and exciting. Mm. And I think, like, I'm extremely, extremely lucky within at least Mormonism that, like, my husband went through that deconstruction with me and that he was willing to be like, you know what, maybe something's wrong. And, you know, we started kind of, like, going through that together. And so while that was devastating, like, we, I mean, so many people around us were so active. Our entire identities were wrapped up in the religion. You know, he thought he was going to be a kingdom holder in heaven, like, hello he thought he had god power like that's yeah. a huge loss he's like i'm just a guy now you know that's yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> you've essentially taken away like superman's cape or whatever like exactly, you've like... exactly so Jeez. for me i'm like oh yeah i don't have to be help me anymore for him he's like oh <laughs> i guess like <laughs> oh wow Did... <laughs> Maybe we can do another one of these long ones. We can go into a deep dive, but I I just want to know the first time you guys popped that bottle of wine, or the first time you had alcohol for the first time, and like what was that like? Do you have any like funny alcohol stories? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we have funny alcohol stories, coffee stories. We were just kind of noobs for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's so adorable. That's so adorable. You guys yeah. experiencing these things together for like the first time. Yeah. So. I'll, I'll tell you both really fast, actually. Um, yeah. So I'll do them in chronological order. So coffee was the first thing we tried together. And um, we tried that on my birthday because it was going to be a birthday treat to sin a little bit. And um, we... Ah, this, is so, <laughs> this is so bizarre to me. I'm sorry. This is just so weird, but it's so cool. Like, so I can understand. I can understand it with, like, comparable things in my life where but like it's coffee so it's like i don't i don't i don't know keep going keep going so we're so we go to a restaurant right and um for my birthday dinner and uh is this the first like, time you've ever tasted coffee first time i ever tasted coffee okay and, um, actually maybe, i think i had had a sip like a rebellious sip like a year before maybe one sip so yeah. anyway yeah yeah but I mean, as a t as a kid, like I would look on labels of ice cream to be like, is there coffee extract in this? Because if there is, like, I can't have it, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, wow. Um. So it's my birthday. He he's like, hey, do you want to like do something crazy? Like, do we go to a Starbucks? And uh, <laughs> so we go, we sneak in, and we're so nervous. You know, we're like, oh my gosh, like we're trying coffee, like. And I was thinking, we're both wearing our Mormon underwear under our clothes. Like, will people know that we're non-coffee drinkers? Like, like, how do we not be weird? Like, we're whispering, like, what are these things? I'm like, what is a macchiato? And this sounds, this sounds like um, when, like, you know, a couple, like, let's go to a sex shop and buy a, like, a little fun toy. Exactly. That's what it's like but with exactly coffee. Like. <laughs> we were, like, looking both ways. Like, we literally did it. Oh. Oh, did it we, you park down the street like walk like we, we got it in a different town that we live in like we it was a we didn't want anyone to recognize us the first time we bought a coffee maker it was like we we're like looking down the aisles to make sure we don't see anybody we know like it wow. is a really scandalous thing so we go into the starbucks 
Kate goes up and he's like, do you guys have a cappuccino machine? And the barista's like, you mean an espresso machine? And Kate's like, can you make a cappuccino with it? <laughs> and then the barista's like, yeah. And so anyway, we order a, we order a white chocolate caramel macchiato to share. And um, we both think it's disgusting, and but but we both drink it, and we just feel like we know we know that something has changed now. You know, neither of us believe anymore, but really, but something has changed because we've had this coffee. So, anyway, that was our first time trying coffee. We were we didn't we drank like two sips. We thought it was disgusting, and felt super rebellious for a really long time. And I I think wow. I probably after actually, I did I definitely did, but I try anyway. You tried anyway, to, you did what after, sorry? Oh, I repented. So I'm not oh. sure how common that is. Maybe oh, that's, that's oh yeah. No, no, <laughs> but, that that make that makes sense. Um and then I remember I remember speeding in a car once and repenting because I sped in the car and I was like, I shouldn't have done oh, that god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then later, uh, so the first alcohol we had was um for our anniversary. It was our one year anniversary. We We'd saved that bottle of champagne um, from from our honeymoon, and so we decided to drink it on our anniversary. So we popped. Was which, disgusting as well. Was disgusting. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we we should have started with like a cocktail or something, but instead we start with this like crappy champagne. Not and, even that. You want like vodka cruises or like wow, just, like exactly. what us what I used to drink when I was fifteen, like little like teeny bopper drinks exactly yeah. so we think we we're so just we're just excited you know we're rebellious and when we saved the cork we have the cork like somewhere <laughs> um but we this is so funny so we tried to take we each take a drink and my husband goes halfway through the drink which we're just tastes like gasoline you know we're just shocked um neither of us have ever had alcohol at all before we never had a rebellious stage we never had a soap kid midway through goes i think i figured out how you're supposed to drink it if you oh what was it if you plug your nose while you drink it you can't smell and you can't even taste it and that must be what everyone does like and so we're both in there plugging your noses drinking like these tiny bits like anyway it was it was very exciting <laughs> i'd love to one day just go through like we could do a whole session where i just ask you about like okay what was the first time you did this and like you just go oh this one was good. it's you're almost amish um it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> um, oh well but it's it's funny though because i can can relate to some of it like some of it it was um i, I remember uh yeah i won't go into it but the, the, i remember like there's some things that i remember like really being really like that was normal for like regular like society that i thought was like just totally like it caused me so much anxiety and i was like this is like mental and stuff so um i and felt so wrong doing it but so i can kind of relate um i do want to quickly touch on um personal truth versus institutional truth could you explain what you mean by that yeah absolutely so this is something i've been thinking about a lot um and basically like especially within within the mormon church you're taught that everyone has personal revelation um, meaning like you all have your own individual relationship with God, right. And he'll tell you something, but then there's also this like leadership revelation for the church. And so that was something that I think a lot of members actually kind of struggle with, like understanding the difference, especially with like social issues where say personally, you feel like 
um, equality is good, but the church as a whole says that's bad. You know, how do you reconcile this personal belief of like, I personally feel like spiritually this is true, but this institutional thing that I'm told is 100% true contradicts. And so that's kind of where that started. And I think that was really um, a big part of that, like within the marriage, you know, where I'm, I'm praying every day saying, God is something wrong. And I believed and that God was telling me, you know, no, this, this is not okay. This is, um, this is um, domestic violence and, and this is dangerous. But then I'm talking to my husband who has the authority in the marriage. Like mm. he has the authority. He's giving me blessings on my head with the oil and is telling me that everything is okay. So how do I kind of like reconcile those types of things? Um, and I do kind of think about it broader as well, you know, with like, you know, people versus institutions as a whole, you know, how, you know, and I think about that currently in my own, you know, as America is kind of having all sorts of problems, you know, how is it that you can kind of reckon with your own beliefs and your own truth and also be part of this larger whole. Um, but that is really kind of where that started is, especially with these different ideas of truth. Um, and even more than that, I guess, when I was a member of the church, especially power dynamics, are, sorry, I don't mean to be so long-winded. Um, but be as long-winded as you like. I just don't want to take up, like, I just don't want you to feel like we're taking up too much time, but I'll go as long as you want. I'm locked in this room, like I said, but for the audience, um, I unfortunately got the C word virus and my wife has been delivering um, meals to the floor and I slide them into my room and I eat it at my desk. I've been living in this room for like four or five days now. So I've got all the time in the world. Go for it. <laughs> it's nice uh, to get drunk. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, this is great. <laughs> um but yeah like kind of where, where these power dynamics are such a factor especially within within mormonism where like you're literally told that these people have so much power these these men are in these huge positions of authority and i'm this lowly teenage woman um and so it's like how is it that i can reconcile this thing that happened you know this feels wrong so how can i reconcile when this overarching religion is saying mm, this is true this is 100% true. And I feel like this anyway. And I guess, you know, obviously truth is so subjective. And, and I think that's something that was a really kind of eye-opening for me as well, because I'd kind of always been taught the truth is black and white. Um, but kind of mm. being able to, you know, seeing these differences between these, in, these individual truths and my experiences, and even, you know, telling this story, like my ex-husband would, I'm sure would tell the story very differently than me, my, my current friends, you know, would talk about Mormonism very differently and kind of like reconciling that people have like these different truths, but especially within positions of power, I think is, um, anyway, I just think that's really interesting and, and, um, was big for me to kind of process my relationship I, to myself and institutions. It's yeah, it's, I actually had a very similar experience. I, I remember, I remember coming to church once and asking, it was, well, I was in the back room of staff halls. It wasn't a church meeting. It was just like, I was doing churchy stuff. And I asked about, I asked someone about, like I'd been through ministry college, so I knew the takes and stuff, but I asked someone about women being quiet in church, the verses in 1 Timothy. And I remember, cause I was reading through the New Testament and I asked them like, okay, so so do women need to be quiet in church? Can women teach? 
And they said, well, that was for a time. That was for, a, you know, a time and a place. And and I was like, and I was thinking, because I had a friend at the time. He was the first first guest on the Deep Drinks podcast. He was closeted for 45 years. He, he went through, I met him in ministry college. He came out of the closet only a few years ago. He's got a long-term partner now. They're really happy. Um, but it's just, um, you know, I, I remember thinking like, well, if this was for a time, why can't homosexuality be for a time or something, right? Or or maybe the type of homosexuality they're talking about is like, you know, two men giving into their lust because they can't. I mean, this might want to be talking about like long-term monogamous relationships, you know? And um, I remember someone told me, no, it was for a time um, the women should be subservient to men things. Um, but then I read 1 Timothy in my and I couldn't reconcile this. I'll just read that little section for, for the audience. Um, so this is, I'll read from 1 Timothy 2. Sorry that I'm reading from the Bible. This is might be a bit boring. Um, but um, so this is from 1 Timothy 2. I believe Peter is writing this. Uh, not Peter, sorry, Paul is writing this. And he says, therefore, I want men everywhere to pray. Lift, uh, hang on. Blah, 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 blah. 1 Peter, um, 1 Peter, oh, sorry. One, my gosh, the alcohol is very fresh. 1 Timothy 2, verses 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Okay, so that's like one part. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Okay, so what the church will hear this and they'll say, well, at the time, you know, um, women were and men were separated in the, in the small churches and she wasn't very intelligent because they didn't have much education. So she would lean across the aisle and she would ask her husband. And so he's really just saying, hey, I don't want you to lean across the aisle. Like, that's all it is. It's not that women shouldn't have authority. It's just that in this specific circumstances, it's not the case. But that's not what it says. Because the next verse, in verse 13, it says, gives a reason it says for adam was formed first then eve okay so it says this um and adam was not uh, and adam was not the one deceived it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner but women so so it's like okay so it's giving that reason and that reason is still valid today but women will be saved through childbearing <laughs> if 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 so they'll be saved if they give children and if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety, this is this is black and white. If you if you can interpret this scripture to say the exact opposite of what it actually, <laughs> oh yeah, um, Joyce Meyer, like all the you know women preachers, women pastors, women can do whatever. Like if you can interpret the Bible to say the exact opposite of what it actually says in plain reading, then why not? Why can we not say like? Oh, you know, Jesus didn't die on the cross. He actually never went on the cross. It says he went on the cross, but he didn't. He, he did the opposite of that. Why can we not say that about everything? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yep. It's like, it's an inconvenient truth. And I remember when I first read this, I was like, well, I don't agree with that. I think women should be like, I think like, I was like, I've got to reconcile this. And I haven't even said it out loud. I said, I've got to reconcile this because obviously I disagree with this part of the Bible and I need to correct myself or work out what's going on here. And they're like, yeah, maybe go talk to someone, maybe go talk to and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure some apologist will be commenting down below, well, actually, and I'm sure there's a way to, you know, get around it all, as there is with everything. But to me, it just seems the, the a plain, a, 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 like a, a simple and well-reasoned reading of that, It's it seems like women are seen as lesser than men. Um, yeah. 
which I'm not a fan of personally. I, I think women should be equal. Right? Wild. Wild. <laughs> Sorry to uh to interject there with a personal story, but yeah, it's it's just I do remember it being I remember it being so like I remember having that conflict of like this is what I believe, this is what I'm in taught. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's like I think that's a really important part, you know, especially because like there are so many inconsistencies within scripture. And that's mm. part of just what makes it so complicated, you know, is when we're claiming full truth and 100% truth and accuracy and everything like it. And there's so many different nuances with people. Like, I think that that claim is just falls apart under any element of scrutiny at all. Mm. Unless you're tons of mental gymnastics, which even then, you know, it, it tends to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's also the thing too, where like, there's a, there's a time and there's a, there's a place for apologetics and stuff like working out how to reconcile this stuff, but no one comes to the faith for, for these reasons. Like no one goes like, do you know what? I actually saw the dating of Mark to be a bit earlier than like no one, they, they have, they're either brought up in it. They have a spiritual experience. Just be honest about where you, your belief comes from. Um, anyway, I thought it'd be great to quickly just move over to the questions and answers. You've actually answered a lot of them already, so we don't have a huge amount. Um, so first one, what advice would you give to someone who is in an abusive relationship? Yeah, gosh. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, again, just like identifying with yourself and being able to like say and own what's happening. I think that was the biggest thing for me was being able to, you know, be able to say, you know, yeah, this is unhealthy. This is abusive and I don't deserve to have this happening. And I think it's really easy to, to like be looking at other stories and trying to be like finding validation from outside things. And that's, you know, why I spent so much time like Googling <laughs> like definitions of things. Um, mm. But it is really helpful, I think, to just be able to reconcile that within yourself first um, and mm. be able to trust someone that you trust. And then that will kind of help you be able to take the next steps. And also, especially like when you get out, it's, I mean, I, it was so embarrassing and scary and I thought everything was going to fall apart and I was, I hadn't been in the relationship very long, which I think has, um, it would be harder in a longer period of time, but it was also a different type of, you know, pain to, and embarrassing in a whole different way, but mm. just so drastically better. <laughs> Outside of yeah well look where it, look where you ended up with a lovely like family you can drink coffee now and you even like it so i love coffee now <laughs> <laughs> um uh, what advice would you give to yourself when you first started questioning your faith if you could give yourself advice now what would you what would, what would it be yeah i mean i think the biggest thing would be take a deep breath <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fine you know i think it was really, I was so worried about, um, again, I think with both in the marriage and um, within questioning the faith, it was this, and this is something that I remember my therapist talking about a lot, was the feeling of guilt, the feeling of fear in those moments you think they're going to last forever. And there's some scientific reason why that is, like you can't process time. Don't quote me on that, literally, other than on this podcast, I guess. But uh, quoting. <laughs> yeah, quoting Alyssa said. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like you can't process time in those moments. And so I think within both of those scenarios, recognizing this is a temporary feeling um, and it's really, really scary. And I don't know how it's going to look outside of it, but the, mm. we'll figure it out. 
and like trust my own life experience up to that point and trusting like myself and my my values and knowing that like I will come to a decision that feels safe and good for me. Hmm. I, I remember so just to touch on what you said there. My, my psychologist mentioned to me once that that thoughts are almost like a almost like um like a, a swarm of like birds that kind of like go in each direction, just flying around together. You can't really control it. Like you just you kind of just see it and it happens. And the same with like emotions, grief, thought, feelings. These things are, are things that come in stay for a little while and leave you can't control it if you do control it what well, you can control it in some aspects like you can choke back tears or you can but but just just realizing that they're not really your own these thoughts aren't really your own they come and they pass and it actually helps you deal with the process uh, a lot um a lot easier i think yeah um it's like it's okay to be sad it's okay to be upset it's okay to be frustrated it's okay like but just realize that yeah that the, these are things that you can't really necessarily control in that moment like they just let the feelings come uh when deconstructing yeah. um uh but yeah i would say be kind to yourself yeah um do uh do that these are all a kind of different order so they're gonna like go deep funny deep funny like random um <laughs> yeah. so do do the latter-day saints believe believe that you'll get your own planet after death is that <laughs> yes i love this question um okay so yes yes people there has been some controversy with this lately because people have been talking about that and they don't like that phrasing um you got your own kingdom which is in the scriptures worlds without end so yes uh, okay kind of world not your own planet i think they're basically the same thing yeah okay so <laughs> okay so we had like a we definitely had a concept of the globe back when like he wasn't a flat earther or anything was he i'm talking a lot of flat earthers at the moment it's driving me nuts but <laughs> they didn't they didn't view like um joseph smith didn't view the world as like a flat okay cool he, he knew of the the globe yeah basically yeah it's like uh part of the doctrine too is like god was once a was once like a human of another planet and now he's okay. a god so that is what like the men will be one day gods this, and goddesses so yeah this is what i mean it's fun it's a fun religion it's um a fun religion. it feels cool yeah <laughs> it is good it's definitely cool um so this one i have to i have a preamble for this question um I, I didn't write this this is what someone wrote in my discord they just wrote it just flippantly they weren't thinking too much about it so don't i hope i'm not offending anyone um but we used um we used to live very close uh to a big temple headquarters in sydney when i was growing up everyone just seemed so dot dot, dot boring placid <laughs> they were happy polite and kind but seemed like surface level happy my mum chased them away with a broom once when they and they never came back to our house since. Crazy ethnic lady screaming, wearing washing up gloves, some floral apron and fluffy slippers. I think she may have chucked um, the slippers at them too. Let's just say that there is a database. Um, oh, and then the question is, is there a database of, of places not to knock on again? Like, is there a database of like, never, never visit this place ever again? Yeah. Yeah, there is. <laughs> okay, cool. Like, okay, maybe you don't we don't go here. They seem sketchy. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Is it like a worldwide database or is it just in the local 
No, it's local. It's just for the missionaries. So it's basically oh, okay. like, yeah, if you're on a mission, hey, by the way, this person, this person might not be so good. Look, I'm seeing um, a brilliant app idea. If anyone wants to hit me up in the Discord server, we can talk about <laughs> yeah, developing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm the best. laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a really great question. Is there a way to engage with people um, of the Latter-day Saints faith that is non-hostile but probing? Yeah, you know, I think especially if missionary, missionary is the easiest way to do that. They'll pop right into your door. Um, yeah, and honestly, most LDS people will be really, really excited to talk with you about their faith. Um, and I think just like being, we're taught at church all the time, like every member a missionary. And I think, I don't think really any LDS person would be offended by probing at all. They would be excited as long as the, you know, person's nice and isn't going mm. to be, you know, but asking those questions, like, do you believe in other people having a planet or like, what was the deal with polygamy? Like. Those types of questions are the types of questions that Mormons prepare for. Like, you know, that's yeah. what they're re we're ready for, you know, because we know that those are the questions that people have. So I wouldn't be afraid to talk to active members about, about the church. Mm. Okay, cool. The thing too is like, it is going to be less confrontational coming from someone who's never been Mormon versus coming from someone like me, me who has um like been disaffected from the church, basically. Yeah. It, they would be a lot more offended by my questions than from someone who's just asking. Yeah, sure. I do like um, I do like what the uh, creators of South Park, Trey Parker, Matt Stone say. They say Mormons were the perfect example, um, or like a perfect people to create a musical about because they just look like they're about to burst into song at any moment because they're always so happy and just oh, like. They are. <laughs> I mean, like, sing so much, honestly. Go to <laughs> songs all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Could you walk into like a Mormon church now or is it like you've been, oh, okay, cool. So anyone can go. All right. That yeah, I couldn't go into a Mormon temple, but I could go into a Mormon church. So oh, okay, cool. Visitors welcome. Oh, awesome. Um, uh, we touched on this before a little bit, but do you have the first feeling such memory of thinking, hmm, that's not quite right. What was the first one? Yeah, I think the first one was um, in my first marriage. I mean, it took that long before I really had any sort of question and mm. uh, him, you know, using doctrine and being like, that, that feels a little off. Yeah. Um, so how much of LDS culture um, is cultural in Utah? Does it, sorry, how much does the LDS culture permeate through Utah for non-Mormons? A, a lot, a lot, a lot. There is very little separation of like church and state or culture. Um, for example, I, I did a TikTok on this and people got really riled up <laughs> comparing <laughs> like the cultures between Utah and Montana. So, you know, everything is closed in Utah on Sundays, you, you know, stores and things like that. You go trick-or-treating on Halloween on Saturday if Halloween falls on a Sunday, you know, so there's things like that. Um, LDS jargon is constantly used. So if you're non-Mormon, like you basically know all the jargon you've, I'm sure you've gone to church a handful of times. Um, and it is changing. Like if someone wants to go live in Utah, I'm sure they would have a little bit of a culture shock, but in Salt Lake, you know, I think it's 50% Mormon now rather than like 80. So we're like, you know, changing mm. really, but yeah, no, it definitely plays a big factor in like day-to-day -day stuff and just like... That it's funny that you mentioned trick-or-treating there because um, 
in my church my my and the christian culture around australia it is it is seen as a very demonic interesting like i was wondering that when I said that. Yeah, it's like like um someone I live with um who's renting a room off us. He used to live with someone who used to bring their fridge out, move it down the hallway, and block the front door because he didn't want the demonic spirits getting through. Interesting. He was a little bit. He was a little bit of a crackpot. But the <laughs> average, the average like Christian might do something like shut all the doors, turn off the lights, and not open the door to any trick or treaters. My wife was taught that it was always evil. Um, like and that it was like opening the the door to the devil, and so that that's actually one of the things that we're both because I I like Halloween. I grew up watching The Labyrinth. I grew up watching creepy films. I kind of like it, um, but I, I'm more like just seeing little kids like dress up and be superheroes and stuff. So I remember we actually just recently like we're we've not been Christian for many years. We went to the store to buy like little rats and skulls and stuff, and some things were still too confrontational for Amy to. Want to bring it. She was like, "This is this is too evil looking." Where this is fine, this is fine, and I, I, we sat at the front door. Like I literally had a little seat there. I sat there with my. Uh, we moved to a new neighborhood, so it's very family oriented. And we sat there, and um, it was raining, but they still came to the door. And I'm like, "Oh, little Elsa! I'm like here you go. Here's some chocolate oh, and stuff." God. And yeah, I've gotten I've gotten right into it, but it was a big taboo for us. Like, yeah, um, super interesting. So, are Mormons okay with Halloween? Yeah, we love it. Oh no way! <laughs> oh, coffee is off the table, but Halloween. <laughs> Halloween is great. <laughs> that's so crazy. As long it's as amazing. it's not Saturday, as long as it's not on the Lord's Day, like go for it. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay, that's that's incredible. Um, so hang on, I gotta just. So do you think you believed in the character of God that Mormonism produced based on their theological beliefs about God? No, no, I, I do not believe in the Mormon God anymore. Um, So do you believe in a God at all? I don't, I don't think so. I'm much more open. Um, I like, I guess you you could probably tell by my body language that I like pretty staunchly disbelieve in the Mormon God. Um, and if there is a different type of deity or energy or God or anything like that, I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I, I think that sounds nice. Um, but I'm not not so much that I'm like changing my behavior around, mm. um, worrying about, you know, like a literal heaven or a literal judgment from a male anthropological, anthropo- you know what I'm trying to, a male. I literal- think so. <laughs> I think um, we're, we're on the same level of gin. I think so I'm kind of getting. Exactly. I'm getting what you're saying. I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like, if if there is a higher power and afterlife, bonus, you know, awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, but I don't necessarily think that that's something that I need to like be preparing for, or be scared of, or be changing my behavior for now. Are you? Are you so would you just say you're not convinced currently of any like religion or god but you're open to the idea mm-hmm. to yeah it. yeah okay that makes sense that's kind of where i'm at as well yeah um, yeah so i would interesting. guess softly is it agnostic. yeah it, this is a, and this is this is a this isn't on the list but this is a very personal question do you find it hard to say or to even kind of conceptualize the idea of like saying I'm an atheist or I don't believe in God. Is that like a hard thing to 
say um, or to confront or is it or you are you like approaching it like it feels blasphemous still but you don't really know why it's like you want to have like a soft like i don't hate god i don't like hate the idea of a god but i just don't not convinced of one like where where do you kind of sit with with all that well the biggest thing i guess is i i'm especially careful with using like the labels and things like that almost purely for like other people's benefit and maybe mm. that's like um mormon family or like a big trope of people that leave the churches they're angry they're anti-mormon they just want to tear it down and so I, I try to be cautious with like using words like atheist or disbelieving just to like not prove that point um yeah. my beliefs i mean probably are you know similar to that um but I think that I do kind of have like a mental hang up of being like, I don't want to come across like I'm swinging along the pendulum so quickly. I know. I know what you mean. It's, um, <laughs> I'm not, I know what you mean. I, I think it's a, um, it, there, there's all, there's always so many hang ups when like, cause you've got, you don't want to like prove them right or something when it's like, oh. or, and there's all these like, but it's like, but at the same time, because if, if someone was to know what's in your brain, they would know, you know how you are and stuff um and they wouldn't they would see that you're not just like going you know like an atheist like slaughtering goats in your backyard and eating babies like you're just a regular person but but i i yeah so I, i'm getting tongue-tied but the idea yeah i know i know what that feeling is like to just feel like i, I sometimes hesitate to call pe people tell people i'm an atheist i always consider myself an agnostic atheist but people have this idea that atheists are like there is no god i'm like no i'm just don't yep. believe I, i'm just not convinced of the existence of god yeah, um, it's very I'm, I, yeah I'm open to believe like if you gave me a sufficient reason to believe i'll believe but I, I i can't lie to you so yeah um interesting i got two more questions but interesting it was the it was the um it was the morality that was taught to me in church that had me reject it so i, I was mm -hmm. brought up to believe that always telling the truth was the right thing to do to pursue righteousness and i believe that truth was righteousness so for me when i started investigating the truth about like evolution and creation or why i believe what i believe all of a sudden my morality pushed back against staying a christian it was really a really weird yeah no i have some i had a similar experience where it's like you're i'm being taught and i think that's kind of why i'm i'm you know, propelled to write and propelled to talk about this stuff because my whole life, it's like every member of missionary share what you believe, even if you stand alone. And so now I feel like I share what I believe, even though I stand alone in, in my uh, Mormon Utah community, you know, and I think it's mm. like that same thing. It's like, you've been taught this certain thing and now it's kind of working in the opposite direction, but it is the same like Mormon Christian values that you grew up with that end up kind of like hurting them. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's, um, Life is was one thing I have learned um, through all of this is um, is just trying to enjoy the ride, like because like who who says that you're not going to be like a a bald headed monk living in India in like ten years and you're going to think back to just enjoy it, enjoy it, like nothing's like just just enjoy life, like go out for coffee or don't, whatever, like in you know, give your husband a hug, like life's not that hardcore all the time you know um what if anything would change your mind like reconvince you of mormonism Ooh, 
Okay, so I would, in order to believe that Mormonism is true, I think it would have to be like, ooh, I think I would honestly have to have what I was told happens in the temple, which is God literally comes down. And I would need a vision like Joseph Smith. I would need God to be like, okay, I'm back to talk to you. Here's a vision. So that would help me believe that it was true. But even then, part of my like deconstruction was I don't believe the church is true. And further, I don't believe the church is good. I think the church is causing, I mean, there are good elements. Absolutely. There's oh, yeah. But, but I think it's ne- negative as far as like social issues causing harm. And so I think in order for me to see it as good, there would have to be a pub apology for um, racist bans. There would have to be full inclusion of, LGBT folk and women and uh, just lots of reform that way. So, are you talking about like the gays being allowed in the church? Gays be allowed in the no church? No way! <laughs> You're living in a fantasy world. That's ridiculous. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, a, an equal society that would? Oh. Yes. So. Yeah. Oh jeez. Um, just so, just in case anyone clips that, when I say the gays, that's ironic. Obviously, I, I <laughs> an ally to. Um, I love, I love my um my friends in the LGBT community. Well, Alyssa, it's been amazing to converse with you. It's been a really good time. Um, I, I've learned so much about Mormonism. I I feel like I I could keep talking to you for ages. Um, I will link all of your stuff um, down below. Um, you've got a TikTok where you explore these kind of concepts. You're obviously an amazing writer. I've got the essays on your website. And of course, when your book is released, I'll put the link in the description for your book. Um, and maybe we even do this again uh, when your book comes out. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the Deep Drinks podcast. And yeah, I'll talk to you another time. Yeah, thank you, David. It was really great chatting with you and I had a really good time. <laughs>